Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about the massive leaks for Grand Theft Auto 6. We talk about the Apple Watch Ultra reviews. We're talking about the upcoming Google event where they are going to reveal the Pixel 7 and Pixel Watch. And we talk about monetization in the creator economy. Okay, topic number one, massive lease for GTA 6. Now, this past Sunday, September 18th, there were 90 videos uploaded to the GTA forums website. And these videos were early unreleased gameplay footage. And they showed, showed videos of, you know, parts of the world of GTA 6, of, you know, some of the gun mechanics in GTA 6, some non-playable character AI, massive leaks. And they also confirmed the rumor. So for quite some time, there's been rumors floating around that, hey, GTA 6 is going to take place in Vice City, which is their fictional version of Miami. It's going to have a male and female protagonist based off of Bonnie and Clyde. So it, it confirmed some of those rumors. Now, the person who hacked gta or who hacked uh rockstar games and who released all of this game footage is allegedly the same person who hacked uber because for those of you who don't know i guess two weeks ago now there was a massive hack of uber and they essentially gained control of the entire ecosystem but so this person hacked gta they released essentially 90 videos of you know, the, a game that's still very much in development. And now the FBI is involved because these are two huge companies that got hacked. Information was leaked that wasn't supposed to be out in the public. And this person is also threatening to release the source code of both Uber and release code of GTA 6. And huge security issues for both companies, right? Now, my question to you, what are your thoughts on, one, just the fact that both Uber and Rockstar Games and GTA have allegedly been hacked by the same person and that all this information, all this unreleased gameplay, gameplay footage is out for the public to see. Yeah, so this is a, this is a strange one considering Uber and, and Rockstar Games and Take-Two. And, like, these are very different kind of um, companies to hack. Uh, first of all, the good news is that when it comes to, at least from what we know about the Uber hack, and right now Uber is in contact with the FBI about uh, this hack. Apparently, the there was no information taken from Uber. It didn't seem like anything uh, in particular was taken. And right now, the, the I guess, credit for these two hacks is uh, with a group called Lapsus. Um, and right now, like it, it seems like they're taking... Uh, responsibility for this. So it's like, it's interesting. It seems like maybe these hacks might be for this Lapsus brand to kind of gain notoriety. They're, they're, these are some big kind of companies that they're going after. Uh, with the GTA 6 one, that's really interesting because that's a, a game that people have been really excited to hear about. Uh, and it's been pretty much under the radar other than the fact that uh, Rockstar announcing that it's eventually going to come out. But other than that, we didn't know much. We did hear about a lot of rumors, like you mentioned, about you know the Bonnie and Clyde kind of setup. Um, 
you know, male and female protagonists that you can switch between, similar to what was happening in Grand Theft Auto V, where you had those three protagonists, but now it's two. So that was like a lot of the rumors and the kind of conversation going around the game. And yeah, this leak pretty much confirms it. And there's been no denial from Rockstar about it. So it looks like, yeah, this is absolutely legit. Uh, They're working on this game. It's kind of hard to tell how far along they are on it with this footage. We don't know how far back this footage is from. We don't know if this, if they're like, have a build that's way newer than this. But overall, I kind of think it's, it's a little bit cool to see. This is a, a look into video game development we rarely get to see. You know, the, the ins and outs of like, oh, okay, let's see how this animation works when, you know, they're, when the AI is going up against a car, taking cover behind a car. Um, which is like one of the clips that you get to see and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just, it's cool to see from the GTA six part, but, um, overall, I think this is one of those situations where both Uber and Rockstar are going to be looking at their, their networks to see how can we shore up to make sure this doesn't happen again, especially with someone like Rockstar, where this could directly affect, uh, take two and like their, their, their financials, because this is unreleased footage that maybe they don't want out there because it doesn't show the game in its best light. Um, and there has been a little bit of a conversation about how the game doesn't particularly look graphically um, as great. I don't think that's something that anyone can infer now because it's such an early look, but still, it's 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 a weird kind of situation because on one hand, I think there's a lot of people who are really excited to see that Grand Theft Auto 6 isn't just a name that there's actually being worked on on it and, you know, some significant work. But then at the same time, you know, companies want to make sure that these hacks never happen again. And if this company is going to, if this lapsus group is going to continue to try to target situations like this, I feel like, you know, with Uber working with the FBI, they're they're really kind of focusing on making sure that this doesn't happen again, which we'll see if they can actually do. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm sure them and other companies are, you know, trying to shore up their, their cybersecurity now, right? I mean, in the past year in the past couple of years you know when when we look at things like the colonial pipeline when we look at things like the the ransom attacks that have almost seemed to become more rampant in the past couple of years right and now we have this huge leak from a game that's still very much in development you know i think companies are going to look a lot more into their own cybersecurity and try and sure up things before they become the next headline right and you know once this happened, I'm I started thinking, okay, what is this going to mean for the future of video game development, right? Because there's quite a bit of data that's been leaked from GTA, and like you said, we we're not sure how far out this development is. And I think from some of the videos we've seen that uh, you know this this was recorded on I think RTX 3060, so it's within the past two years, and you know most people. I think at Rockstar are saying that this game is still at least two years out from development. So, you know, there's still quite a bit to be going on. But the fact that people are judging this game, you know, it's it's a pre-production mm-hmm. game. This isn't this footage wasn't meant for the public to see. Right. So the fact that there are people judging this footage of GTA six, I, I mean, I think it's it's a bit troubling just because, you know, someone who is developing a game. 
they, especially when you look at Rockstar, how how cagey they've been with their information, how little they've wanted to show you. They probably had this big idea of, okay, this is going to be the first reveal that we have. This is going to be the first gameplay footage we're going to show. You know, we're going to do it at CES or we're going to do it at, you know, whatever, Summer Games Fest because there's no E3 anymore, right? So they probably had this idea of, okay, this is what we're building up for. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, nope. We're going to take a look behind the curtain before you're ready to show us what's going on. And, you know, I don't think there should be any judgment on their part, right? Because they weren't ready to show this. But I'm sure there are people who are judging it now saying, uh, you know, those graphics don't look that good. Or I don't really, you know, the AI characters aren't really interacting the way that they're supposed to. Or, you know, you hide behind the car. Mm -hmm. The cops don't even try and come and get you. But no one's supposed to see this, right? This is for internal use only. So... I would think that at least for Rockstar games, I think they're going to start tightening things down a lot, right? Because they've had this massive leak. Maybe this changes how their workflow is. Maybe they've been more, or not maybe, they've probably been a little bit lax with their security. So I'm sure they're going to start tightening things down. You know, maybe if you look at the current climate or like the recent climate, there's been a lot of flexibility when it comes to people working from home. So maybe Rockstar says, hey, for the next month, for the next two months, for the next half a year, everyone has to come into the office so we can figure out how to prevent leaks like this happening in the future. Right? Maybe other game companies that are producing games right now, maybe they start saying, hey, look what happened to Rockstar. We don't want the same thing to happen to us. So... We are going to make things a lot more difficult for, you know, information for source code to be leaked in the future. And, you know, we look at games like Cyberpunk 2077. Imagine if gameplay footage of that got leaked before it came out. Like when it came out, there was a lot of bad press. Imagine if right before the game came out, footage got leaked and we got that bad press before the game even came out. That that would have affected their company in terms of sales, you know, the first couple of weeks the first month but also maybe they would have said hey we are going to push this game back even further and then people who are looking forward to the game who are eager or waiting for the game say oh now we gotta wait like another year for this game to come out maybe gta was getting ready to release something in the next two years but now after this footage footage is leaked and there's i don't know there's press around it good and bad maybe they say oh now we're going to come out in two years, now we're coming out four years from now. They're pushing back their, you know, their deadline even further. So I think it's interesting to see into the game development side a bit. But I also think it's unfortunate because the people developing the game have the right to tell the story how they want to tell it, have the right to reveal games as they want to reveal them. So I think it's, you know, it's a bit unfortunate that that gets, that gets taken away from them a bit. Yeah. I mean, if if you're Rockstar at this point, what do you do with this leak? Do you think they should just go radio silent, continue working on the game? Or do you think maybe they should start talking about it a little bit more? Usually, Rockstar, when they make Grand Theft Auto games in any game, they don't show anything or talk about anything until they're ready. Like, they're like it's always a lot of speculation and everyone wondering what they're doing. And it can be kind of annoying if you're, you know, a fan of those games you just want to hear some kind of tidbit or know that they're actually working on it. Do you think they should start communicating with people more after this leak or maybe just, you know what, put their head down and pretend like this didn't happen? 
uh, I think they should put their head down and pretend like this didn't happen. Mm. Because, I mean, they make great games. And what they're doing works for them. In terms of, if, you, if we're looking for the finished product, what they're doing works for them. Yeah. Right? So I would say maybe if they want to, you know, spin up another division where it's, okay, this these group of people are communicating more, maybe that would be helpful. I don't think it would necessarily prevent leaks like this. I think they just need to, you know, tighten things down when it comes to their security. But I would say if the developers, if given more information to the public and talking about what's going to happen, if that at all affects the development of the game, then I would say don't bother doing it, right? Because at yeah. the end of the day, they want to make the best game or they want to make their version of the best game. So do that. If you have fans of the franchise, I'm sure they'll appreciate getting a better game if it means they hear less about it leading up to the game, mm-hmm. right? I think anything that detracts away from them making the best possible version of GTA 6 is like, why bother personally? Yeah. On to topic number two, Apple Watch Ultra Reviews. So we've gotten, you know, some reviews of the iPhone 14, of the 14 Pro. Now we're getting reviews of the Apple Watch Ultra. And uh, it's, I'd say it's generally good press around it, right? Now, I guess a couple of highlights. It is the largest Apple Watch yet. So it's 49 millimeters. The typical Apple Watch sizes are, I believe, 41 45 millimeters, and now we have this 49 millimeter one. Most of the reviews that I've seen say that this watch looks big, it looks bulky, but it's also, it's actually a lot lighter than it looks. And I guess that's partly because of the titanium that it's built with. It has a larger screen and it's a brighter screen. So it reaches up to 2000 nits of peak brightness. The Series 8, I believe, gets up to 1000 nits of peak brightness has an 86 decibel siren that can be heard from 180 meters away. It has precision dual frequency GPS. It's a more rugged Apple Watch. It has longer battery life, and it's a more capable Apple Watch. Generally, what I've seen is if you're someone who is interested in, let's say, adventure sports like scuba diving or ultra marathon running or mountaineering, it's a good watch for you. It will do a lot of the stuff that you want it to do. But for the general public, general population, this watch is completely overkill and you don't need it. I think it's maybe $300 more than Series 8. I think it's four, $400, $450 more than the SE, right? So most people will be covered by the SE in terms of what you need your Apple Watch to do. Maybe you want a few more features, you want some, you know, oxygen saturation tracking, get the Series 8. But most, the majority of people do not need to get the Apple Watch Ultra. And if you have, I don't know, $800 burning a hole in your pocket, there's probably other stuff that you can do with it. But pretty much the consensus is it's a good watch, it's a very capable watch, but it's definitely not a necessary watch. So, you know, from the reviews that you've seen, that you've read, what, I guess, what are your thoughts on the Apple Watch Ultra now that we have people that actually have, you know, had hands-on experience with it? 
I guess what surprised me the most about it is, and I got a hint of this during the presentation, but I, I didn't really take it in until now with these reviews out, of how similar it is overall to just the regular Series 8, despite the fact, like you mentioned, you're paying that premium in price. And it, it seems like a lot of the differences come from software and a little bit of hardware, but more how the software is utilizing that hardware. So it's like when I look at what the big advantages of this watch is over the Series 8, there's some small things like, okay, it has a brighter screen and a bigger screen. It's great. Uh, it has a bigger battery, which is fantastic. I think a lot of people have talked about how uh, the battery is actually really good. But uh, compared to a Series 8, I, I mean, I'll say this. There are, I, I believe the new Galaxy Watch uh I can't remember the name of it, but the five series that they're they're having now, the the pro version, that has a gigantic battery too. So I think it, it, when there's a lot of conversation about the battery life on this particular watch, it's comparing it to other Apple watches. Yeah, um, which I think is is really interesting. But then, you know, it has the the more accurate GPS, which is great. But a lot of that features like uh, the backtracking when you're hiking, which I think is one of the coolest features that they showed off with the watch. So essentially, if you're hiking and you decide to go off trail a bit and so you don't lose your way, the watch will actually show you, hey, this is where you went. Just go back, follow this this line or these these uh, these little dots and it will take you back the way that you came so you won't get lost. That's also available on the regular Series 8, which is actually quite cool. Um, and then there's there's the differences with the design, which I think a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of reviewers have said, Hey, this is a bulky watch. It's not best looking watch uh, because it's designed to be bulky and rugged. But with the added uh, bulk and, and ruggedness, you get some extra convenience features like a bigger crown, uh, larger buttons, and even that programmable button on the on the left side of the watch that uh, you know is is not there on any of the other feet on other of the other watches. So I don't know. It it just seems like it's it's not enough. It's a good first step for the Ultra, and, and I imagine for whoever this watch works for, it'll be great. I don't know. It, it's Maybe there's there's another tier here. Maybe there's a, an Apple Watch um, Series 8 Max or something like that where <laughs> in the future where it's like, okay, we want to give you the best watch possible with all the watch, the features of the Ultra, but maybe it's a little bit more sleek. Maybe it's a little smaller. Maybe it, it has some better options for battery. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, to me, I'm a little bit surprised by how similar, how many similarities there are between the Watch Ultra and the Series 8. And then one of the biggest features that they talked about, which is the ability to have like a an extra battery optimization mode that can let the watch last for about, uh, I can't remember how many days. I think hours, it was 60 hours. 60 yeah. hours, yeah. Uh, that's not available yet. So... That'll come down the pipeline, and it makes me wonder, well, if it's not available on this watch yet, are they going to bring this feature? Obviously, it won't be able to last lo as long as on the Series 8, but are they going to bring this feature to the Series 8 so maybe that can get more battery life on it as well? It's just, it's it's weird. It, it's kind of like what was happening with the iPhones where, yeah, there isn't a lot hardware-wise to get you super excited, but software, there's all these things like, you know, uh, the crash detection mode, which I believe this watch... I think this watch has as well. Yeah. I'm not 100% does, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all these software features and 
I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it could also just be a sign that these things are so mature that there isn't really so much you can do. Maybe this, this Watch Ultra from the good reviews like we've seen is just does everything that it needs to do and there really isn't nowhere else it could really improve until technology drastically changes where we could have a watch like this that doesn't need to be charged and maybe like once a week or something like that. We're still far ways away from that. So yeah, maybe this is just the best that we have available right now. And judging from the reviews, it seems like people are really impressed with it. But yeah, like you said, it, the Series 8 is is good for 90% of the people. Yeah. And I guess the important thing that you mentioned there is, right, we're comparing this to other Apple Watches, right? When you compare the Series 8 and the Series and the Ultra, they have the same chip inside. They have the same system on a chip or system in a chip, I think they call it. Um, it's the same processor, which is also the same processor as the Series 7, which is also the mm. same as the Series 6, I believe, and maybe even the Series 5. So when we look at what's powering these devices, the chip hasn't changed or the chip technology hasn't changed, but it's they add new sensors, right? When we look at the GPS from the Series eight and before to this one it's gone from l1 to now the ultra has l1 plus l5 gps when you look at the bulkiness of this watch it's bigger than the series eight definitely or than the other apple watches definitely but also when you compare it to just regular watches it's not that bulky when you even compare it to other smart watch or not smart watches when you compare it to other well i guess yeah when you compare it to other smart watches like ones from Garmin, like ones, like, you know, specific diving watches. It's actually not that bulky either, but it's just comparing it to other Apple watches. It seems so much bigger, right? Mm -hmm. When you talk about the battery, yes, it's a longer lasting battery compared to Apple watches, but Apple watches have terrible battery compared to other watches, right? Compared to Samsung, even compared to OnePlus devices, you know, the OnePlus watch, I think that one lasts like seven days or something. And typical Apple watches last like maybe a day and a half. Mm -hmm. And another thing, when we talk about battery, fast charging, right? They, I keep on hearing Apple talk about fast charging with the Apple Watch and with the Series 8 and fast charging with Ultra. Their fast charging is from zero to full, I think in an hour and a half. Whereas watches like Samsung's and watches like OnePlus's can charge from zero to full in like 30 minutes. So it's important to say, it's important to take a look at, okay, what exactly are we comparing this watch to? Even when you look at the capabilities of things that it can do, it has a lot of cool features. But like you said, the wayfinder feature or the, you know, the waypoint feature is going to be on the Series 8 also. Mm -hmm. When you look at what it can do for diving for instance which is one of the big reasons why this watch was created or at least one of the reasons it's being marketed i think it has a depth of 40 meters because that's the point at which okay if you're scuba diving below 40 meters you need to have specific training in order how to manage your gases right so diving watches below 40 meters they have a bluetooth connection with your diving tank so you can change the mixture of your gases on your diving watch the apple watch ultra can't do that it's not it's not capable of that but when you compare it to what 
a regular Apple Watch can do. It's, I mean, it does a lot more. You can measure the water temperature. You can measure, you know, there's a lot more depth measurements that you get from the Apple Watch Ultra compared to a regular Apple Watch. But most people aren't diving with a regular Apple Watch anyways. All right. So it's, it's a great watch for an Apple Watch. But when you compare it to other smart watches out there, when you compare it to other, you know, adventure specific, event specific watches out there, it's not necessarily the best at those either. But if you're someone who has to have an Apple Watch or who really wants to use an Apple Watch, then it's a good device. Assuming you need it to do all, you know, X, Y, and Z also. Yeah, I think that's the the interesting thing about this watch of like where it could potentially hit that middle ground for a lot of people is that it's an Apple Watch. So, so many people already use an Apple Watch, but it's an Apple Watch that can do more. And I think that's that's where I think a lot of the positivity around it is as opposed to this is a uh, you know, an extreme sports watch or a hiking watch or something like that. A very specific device for a very specific task that a lot of people already have. This is a jack of all trades. And, you know, there's a saying, a jack of all trades is a master of none. And I, I don't think that necessarily applies to this watch. I think this watch, it being an Apple watch that can do more, makes it the best Apple watch. It's just kind of expensive uh, and it's probably not the best at doing those tasks as a dedicated watch would be at doing those tasks, which I think is fine because maybe that's then overall cheaper because a lot of people will be like, well, I don't need two watches. I can just have one and maybe I get 80% of the way there with this Apple watch ultra, but that's all I really needed anyway. So yeah, I don't know. I, it's weird. I don't necessarily know if the main people who buy this watch are going to be its intended use case, or just a lot of people who really want a, a more durable watch, because I think that's a, a big thing here that hopefully that stands the test of time that it won't crack. Uh, I know uh, Apple watches can be a little bit delicate at times, mm -hmm. considering there are a lot of watches out there that are specifically designed to, to be quite rugged and, and to take a hit. Hopefully this watch can do that, but I think only time will tell that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe this could just capture a lot of people who are not interested in diving or any of that other stuff, but just want the biggest and best Apple Watch. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that just want the biggest and best and the newest thing they have to offer. Uh, just to speak on the battery also, so the low power mode, it's already out. You can update your watch to, I guess, what is it? Watch OS oh. 9 now. And mm -hmm. I have a Series 4 that I've updated to watch OS nine and I've been using the low power mode and it, I want to say it like doubles my battery life oh, already, right. which is great. So you don't, if you want better battery life, you don't need to buy a brand new Apple watch. You don't need to get the ultra low power mode is already available. And I mean, I would say it seems like it triples the battery life. That's probably not realistic. It probably just doubles it, but Yeah. Do you lose anything mode. on that low power mode? Uh, you lose some of the background features. So you lose like, um, you lose background heart rate measurements, heart mm. rate notifications, irregular rhythm notifications. I think there's some notifications that you won't get uh, as frequently. So I don't know if you're someone who, if you 
leave your phone on the other side of the room and you expect your Apple Watch to notify you anytime you get, I don't know, like email notifications maybe, then low power mode might not be for you, but you still will get text messages. You still will get calls. It's okay. just some notifications won't come in as frequently. So, so for you, do you feel like this mode is worth the trade-off? Is it something that you use most of the time now? Or yeah. is it something that you maybe like will only turn on once in a while? Not use it most of the time now. Interesting. And you can still do activity. You can still do your workouts in low power mode and will track your heart rate like moment to moment in the workout. It's just, let's say if you were someone who was relying on the irregular rhythm notifications, mm. you know, then, okay, it wouldn't be a good idea to do. But other than that, yeah. So the sensor's on demand as opposed to just always running in the background. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right, on to topic number three. We're talking about the Google Pixel event that's happening October 6th. So back in Google I.O., they decided to show off the 6A, but they also showed a preview of the Pixel 7 and the Pixel Watch, which is coming out. October 6th has been announced as the next Pixel event, and they are going to show off the Pixel 7, Pixel 7 Pro, the Pixel Watch, and other Nest devices. So we're thinking things like, you know, the Nest Hub, like the Chromecast possibly. So it's interesting that they chose to, sh to show off their phones months before they were supposed to come out, almost to get ahead of the leakers, right? They decided to show off their watch months before it would come out, assuming to do the same. So really what's left for them to show, at least in terms of the phones and the watch, is hardware features. So we're guessing the Tensor version 2, and then Google always has some sort of software features, right? Like when you think of things like the magic eraser, when you think of things like auto dictation. So it's an interesting event when you already know what the device is going to look like. But I mean, there still is a lot left up in the air, like pricing, right? We don't mm -hmm. necessarily know what the price is going to be like. If I had to guess, I would say the Pixel 7 starts at the same price and the Pixel 7 Pro gets a bit of a bump down. Now, this may just be wishful thinking, but I would say the general consensus from the 6s, from the 6 and 6 Pro, the 6 Pro is a better phone, but it's not a $300 better phone. I feel like a lot of people have found that, the you know, for what you got from the Pixel 6 to the 6 Pro didn't warrant, didn't warrant such a price increase. So I think what it, I think it would be a good idea if they brought it down maybe $50, $100, you know, I'm being honest, but I could see them dropping the pro down maybe $50 to make to make it a bit more palatable to go from okay, Pixel 6 to 6 Pro. Pixel Watch, I have no idea what to expect. This is the first wearable from Google, right? This is the first watch that they've built in-house, and I'm interested to see I'm interested to see what kind of, you know, functions it has, what kind of Google things they bring to it. I'm imagining Google Assistant is going to be built right into it, going to be a big feature of it. But I also want to see how much Fitbit integration there is to it because Google owns Fitbit, right? Yeah. Um, they also tease the tablet at Google I.O. It's not supposed to come out till 2023, but I imagine they're going to tease a bit more about it 
They're going to show a bit more information about it. Hopefully, they've updated the design because the bezels on what they showed were atrocious. But, yeah. you know, what are you expecting to see from this event? What are your predictions, you know, for the phone, for the watch? Do we get more information about the tablet? You know what? Now that you mention it, probably we might not see much about the tablet. And if if we do, probably just another, hey, don't forget, the tablet is also coming. This is an interesting one because, look, I, I get it. Apple's events, people love them, and they're great at drumming up excitement and anticipation. But I personally love what Google did here. I love the fact that they showed us the Pixel 7 Pro and the Pixel 7 months ago with the watch and the tablet. And they said, hey, this is everything we're working on. You'll get it eventually, but at least you know it so that it never has to get leaked. And this goes also to what we were talking about with the the Rockstar leaks. Not everything needs to be built off of hype, in my opinion. I'd rather things not be built off of hype and kind of just, hey, this is an interesting product. We worked on it. Let's take a look at it. You know, you don't have to worry about leaks. You don't have to worry about a specific event uh, to know everything about this. This this is just what it is. We know it's going to be running a new tensor. We know, you know, what the design is. We know there's going to be a watch. We know there's going to be a tablet. Like, we know all this stuff. So there's not too much that this event can really tell us other than, like you said, price. And I'm kind of torn on this because part of me is really happy about this because, you know, I, I don't have to worry about uh, paying attention to this October 7th event because... I kind of I think most people have already made up their mind if they've been paying attention whether the Pixel 7 is something they're going to be interested in. Um but then also I understand that Pixels don't necessarily sell the best and iPhones do sell the best. So maybe you kind of want to uh, mimic their product uh unveiling style so that you can get a lot of um a lot of press and and talking from podcasts and and youtubers and stuff like that and news about your product so it gets it into more people's kind of view and hopefully you can convince one of those people who maybe never knew about the product before to buy it but yeah i don't know it's 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 one of those those strange kind of um kind of things where uh, i'm curious to, to get your opinion do you think like we were talking about previously before the podcast the uh Sony Xperia 5, the new one that just was just came out or came out a few weeks ago and you know people have been talking about it some reviewers and I like that. I like the fact that they just shadow dropped this phone. The reviewers have it in their hands and if you're interested in it, you can find out what's new about this crazy new Sony phone that's a little bit better priced than than their flagship. I think that's great. But also Sony phones don't sell well. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen one in the in the wild and it's probably because most people don't even know they exist. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of curious, do you like the fact that Google's told us so much beforehand? So there's not like a ton of hype for this event, or would you rather everything, them try to keep everything as secret as possible so that when this event comes, there's actually a lot of hype and excitement around it. Kind of like what Apple does. I think, I think in the current climate, they understand. And you know, even if you look at before the current climate, Google has had a ton of leaks. Yeah. Like they've had the most leaks i'd say out of any phone company maybe samsung maybe you know their stuff gets leaked a little bit earlier than google's but i think they understand that people are going to leak our stuff anyway we can't keep stuff a secret so we might as well show you what we're working on 
at least hardware-wise, because that's yeah. easy to leak. And I, you know, if you look at the narrative that they're kind of that you could spin here is the hardware isn't the main feature; the software is. When you look at Pixel phones, it's always been about the software on them. You know, even when you look at the camera, right? They've had great cameras, not great camera hardware. They've had great camera software. So with this phone, we already know what the hardware is going to look like. We already know, you know, it's probably going to be the same size as the 6 and the 6 Pro. We see the camera bar in the back. It's probably going to have an under display fingerprint sensor, hopefully better than the last one. But what's going to make this Pixel phone a Pixel phone, the Tensor system on the chip, now they're version 2, and also what kind of software features are they going to be? What kind of stuff are they going to show off like the Magic Eraser where it's like, Wow, this is only available on a Google phone. iPhones can't do this. Samsung's can't do this, at least not yet. Once they get the newest version of Android, they'll be able to. But what kind of features are you guys going to show us that are only available? And I think maybe that's why they're showing us the hardware first. So they're not trying to drum up excitement and trying to say, oh, you know, can't wait to you know you can't wait to see how we've changed the design of our phone even though it's not really much of a design change and i think they want people to focus on the software features because when you look at apple right the iphone 14 is exactly the same as the iphone 13 and then it's the iphone 14 pro is exactly the same except for the dynamic island you know the you know the fancy, the amazing, the dynamic island, which is a cool feature, but other than that, it's the same phone as the 13 Pro. Yeah. Right. So I think maybe, hopefully, Google is self-aware to say that our phone isn't that much different than last year's phone, so we're not going to come up with a fancy new marketing term for this thing that you know <laughs> we've done before. That you know this whole punch that everyone else has. We're just going to give you software features and we're not going to try and hype up the hardware because it's not really any different. So I don't, I like this marketing approach, but like you said, iPhones sell the most. Yeah. Pixels don't. So if they want to maybe sell more phones, maybe they need to, you know, keep the hardware secret and, you know, don't reveal it, even though other people will leak it before and then come up with a crazy new name for their hole punch system or, you know, come up with a crazy new name for something. That's a good point, because even with the iPhone, I remember we were talking about the iPhone 14 and the new pill shape cutout stuff like that for a while. Oh, yeah. Actually, maybe even like a year. I so I remember the day after the iPhone 13 event. <laughs> John Prosser had leaks of the iPhone 14 the day after. Yeah. And was talking about the hole punch cutout. Now, we didn't know they were going to make it look like a single hole punch. There is, you know, the the bigger hole punch and the smaller hole punch. We didn't know they were going to call it the dynamic island, but we knew what it was going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. We knew what it was going to look like the day after the iPhone 13 event, so... Uh, what are your thoughts or expectations for the Pixel Watch? Yeah, this is going to be a, a tough one for me. I, like, this is the thing. There's so many cool watches coming out. Like, I, I've said, I think the Apple Watch Series 8 looks great. I think the, the Series 7 looked great as well. Uh, I'm a fan of the Galaxy Watch Series 5, the non-pro version. But none of them do 
for me what I want from a watch. As a matter of fact, the closest version of a watch that I'd actually be interested in was the OnePlus watch. But the problem is the OnePlus watch doesn't run Android Wear. It runs its own kind of software. So I would hope that maybe Google would take a more paired back approach to say, okay, this is our first watch. Let's start with something that's a little bit simpler, a little bit more basic. But this is the thing. I don't think that's what most people want. I don't think what most people want is what I want, which is just a watch that will give me my notifications when I'm away from my phone and stuff like that and be able to answer calls. I think most people want the fitness tracking, like you mentioned, want all these cool features that essentially are going to make these watches really expensive. So yeah, it, it's one of those things where I don't have a ton of excitement about the Pixel Watch simply because I know most consumers want this fitness-focused uh, kind of expensive companion. Um, and that's not what I want, but I know that's probably what Google's going to deliver, which I think is the right choice, honestly. I think if that's what most people want, that's the, the type of watch that you should make. So I'm not super uh, excited about it. I do think what they have to do, because I, I kind of like the overall design to an extent. I don't like the fact that it doesn't have standard watch bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the the size of the bezels, but it does have a very Apple Watch kind of style where everything kind of just flows over the edge, um, which I think in the new uh, Series 7 and Series 8 Apple Watches, I thought that looked kind of cool when they brought the display out to the edges. This watch does not bring the display out to the edges, <laughs> but um, who knows, maybe that could be them taking from Samsung that little touch-sensitive ring around it where you can kind of circle your way around. Yeah, But it also does have a crown on it as well, so I don't know, maybe that might be redundant. But yeah, I think the watch looks okay. Um, it's just all going to come down to price. If they can undercut Samsung's watches, uh, even for the people who are very fitness-focused fitness, fitness focused, and still give you the same level of features, I think they could potentially get a few people, but I honestly think this watch is going to struggle uh, because the landscape is just... It's not necessarily competitive, but like we talked about with the, the Apple Watch Ultra, it's it's does everything it can do. Like there really isn't much more you can do with a with a smartwatch at this point. And I feel very similarly around the Galaxy Watch. I think, you know, people complain that the new Galaxy Watches weren't that much different than the old Galaxy Watches, other than the fact that they removed the rotating bezel, uh, the physically rotating bezel, which kind of annoyed a lot of people. I think we're at the point now with phones, with watches, with tech in general, where we're just at the point we've done everything we can. <laughs> and until we get some drastic new uh, new technology changes, that's not really going to matter that much. But I don't know. Do you think there's anything the Apple Watch, sorry, the Pixel Watch can do to interest you? Um, and also, do you have any opinions on what you think this watch, this this phone, actually, the Pixel Watch 7 should cost? Uh, considering, like you mentioned earlier, the Pro was kind of a disappointment considering how much more it costs compared to the base level without giving you much more features. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the Pixel Watch, I actually I think it's going to do all right. Mm. And I th- think it's going to do all right because I think and, uh, you know, I hope it's going to have a lot of Fitbit integration. Ah, oh, yeah, good point. Essentially, what I, what I think Google should do is make a Fitbit, but have it run Wear OS and give it Google Assistant. Because Fitbits do very well. Now, they're also 
fairly reasonably priced. But if you give people everything that a Fitbit does down to the fitness tracking, because they have that down, you know, they do that very well. And especially to the sleep tracking, which they do very well. But you give it Google Assistant, then, you know, some other Google, you know, even if you just bring the auto dictation from Google's phones and from their software onto the watch, I think that would be huge for texting people back too. But Fitbit with Google Assistant with, let's say, auto dictation and reasonably priced, I think this watch will do very well. I also think battery life is important too, but I think there will be more towards the Fitbit Samsung side of battery life, not towards the Apple Watch. I really hope not. But yeah, I agree. I like the design of it. Hopefully the bezel is actually some sort of, you know, touch capacitive feature where it's, you know, the, the dial like Samsung has currently. But I like the general design of it. And in terms of the Pixel phones, right? I Like I said, I think it's going to be... Last year, the Pixel 6 Pro was $899. I think, I think it should be $799. Mm. I think it's probably going to be $849. I think it's probably going to be $850. Just because I think they want to keep the, you know, the premium cost of it. They don't want to bring it down in price too much because it is a pro device, you know. I'm doing yeah. air quotes right now because nobody can see me. I it, they still want it to be a pro device and they still want to keep the premium the premiumness of it, right? They have their A series. We have we got the six A. Um but I think it's gonna be around eight fifty. I don't think they're gonna drop too much in price, but I think they should drop in price and I think Hopefully, they're aware that people didn't appreciate the price of the 6 Pro. As far as the watch, it's definitely going to be cheaper. It's going to be less expensive than the Apple Watches, right? Uh, I think the I think it'll be closer in price to the SE. I think it'll be, yeah, I think it'll be close in price to the Apple Watch SE. I, I definitely think it will have more features, though. Hmm. Eh. I don't know, it's hard to say, because the SE has a lot of stuff. It does a lot of stuff. But I think in terms of, I think just bringing Google Assistant to it is going to be a huge selling point of it. I feel like that's, if I'm Google, that's what I think most of the presentation would focus around with the Pixel Watch. Just how much it allows you to do, how much more capable it will be as like a a personal assistant on your wrist, right? Because they have the assistant on the phones, of course, they have it on their earbuds, bring it to the watch too. It's a, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I think what you just said there sets the expectation for this watch fully of like what this is. Cause I, I think you're 100% right. If you go to this, the pixel watches like page, you see three bullet points. One is helped by Google talking about the assistant and access to your wallet and Google maps and all the Google features that you know, and love that's connected to assistant in that way. The very next bullet point is health and fitness by Fitbit, the full Fitbit integration up. You know, we've known for a while, you know, came is to is gonna come to Pixel and Samsung watches first. And this is all built on top of Android Wear. So yeah, I think you're 100% right. This could be a very assistant and Fitbit 
focused device. And the interesting thing is, around the same time as this watch is, is about to hit, hopefully hit uh, store shelves, there's also going to be two new Fitbit watches, the Fitbit Sense 2 and the Fitbit Versa 4, that have a similar kind of design to the Pixel Watch. Not not really that similar. It's, it's more square, but kind of the the domed all black stealthy look that the pixel watch has it kind of has so i wonder if maybe they could be developing these things side by side so yeah i, I think you're 100 right that sets the focus of what this watch is if you like fitbits and you like google assistant this is probably going to be the watch for you yeah i think the 7 will stay at 599 the 7 pro should be 799 but i'll say probably coming 50 dollars more expensive and I think the watch, yeah. So I think it would be around the price of the Apple Watch SE, which is two forty nine, but it will have a lot more features in terms of Google stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, our our final topic of the day is monetization in the creator economy. Now, I want to say yesterday. I'm pretty sure it happened yesterday. YouTube announced that they will be bringing new monetization features to YouTube Shorts. Now, this, you know, just start off, this stuff is coming in 2023, so it's not happening yet. But there's a few things they're announcing. One, smaller creators will be able to use fan funding features. So for those of you listening that don't know, there is something called the YouTube Partner Program. And it's once you're a big enough YouTuber. So essentially, once you have 1000 subscribers, then you can start monetizing your videos and you can, you know, have people fund your channel. Essentially, people can give you tips sort of like Twitch streaming, but you have to reach 1000 subscribers. They are in 2023, they're going to lower the bar for this. They haven't exactly said how low it's going to be. But before 1000 subscribers, you'll be able to have fan funding features like super chats, like super stickers, like super thanks, like channel memberships, so that if you have a following that you're building, people will be able to donate monetarily to you before the thousand subscriber mark. They are also adding another path to join YouTube partner program. So as part of that qualification, you need a thousand subscribers. You also need 4,000 hours of watch time on your channel within a calendar year, which if you have a thousand subscribers, you should be able to do no problem. You know, assuming you regularly put out content, they're also adding as another option. So instead of the 4,000 hours, 10 million views in the last 90 days on YouTube shorts, because with the rise of short form content, there are a lot of people who only put out YouTube shorts. You know, that only put out short form, 60 second vertical video. So you aren't going to reach 4,000 hours doing that. Also, short form content doesn't count towards your 4,000 hours. So let's say if you had a video that went viral, it got 10 million views, 50 million views. None of that would count towards your 4,000 hours in order to join the YouTube partner program. So in 2023, If you only do short form content, then you need 10 million views. If you only do long form content, then you only, or sorry, if you only do long form content, then you need 4,000 views. 
the third thing that YouTube is adding is they're bringing revenue sharing to YouTube Shorts. So currently, when you look at short form videos, so you look at you know TikToks, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, money for those comes through what they call pretty essentially everyone's doing a creator fund. So I think most of the companies, I think it's like a hundred million dollars, somewhere around there. And it's a pot of hundred million dollars, let's say, and depending on how many views you get in a certain period. So typically it's around like two to three months that determines how much of that pot you get. Now, this is good because people can get money for short form content, but the unfortunate thing is it's a static size. So let's say if it's a hundred million dollars and you have a hundred creators, well, hey, that's not bad because each creator gets a million dollars. But if it's a hundred million dollars and you have one million creators that are dipping into that pot, well, that's a lot less money to spread around. So it doesn't fluctuate it doesn't you know increase if you have more creators it's hey this is a static number this is the static amount of money that we're giving out and if there's more creators then hey it's unfortunate for them and you know these platforms tiktok instagram youtube shorts they've gotten more popular so more people have been creating content for them which means there's less money to go around starting in 2023 youtube is going to be doing what they do for their long form content what they do for their short form content. They're going to start running ads and they're gonna share ad revenue with the creators. So now it's not just this static pot that everyone's drawn from. It's gonna be, hey, if you get more views, we're gonna have ads on those views. So you're gonna get a percentage of the money that we generate from ad revenue. They are the only person who's doing this or at least the only person who's announced this. But I think this is, I think this is going to be a huge shakeup for short form videos and for this, the creator economy in general, because YouTube is saying that, hey, people who make short form videos. So everyone who's on TikTok right now, TikTok isn't paying you more necessarily if you get 1 million views or if you get 50 million views, right? Now, as your views increase, your pay will scale along with the views. So we don't have this static pot that everyone is drawing money from. You can make more money on YouTube shorts than you can on TikTok, than you can on Instagram, because we're going to be running ads on your videos and we're going to be paying you for those ads also. So I think just all of this stuff that YouTube is doing, they are the most creator friendly platform there is right now. And it's surprising that TikTok hasn't done this, that Instagram hasn't done this. And as far as we know, they don't have any plans to do it. So I went over a lot there, but what are your thoughts? You know, how do you feel about one YouTube, I guess, lowering the barrier to join the partner program, them adding an extra pathway and them paying short form content creators? Yeah. Uh, so for the, the lowering the barrier, to the partner program, I think that needed to happen. And I think it needs to be even more drastic because YouTube has started. Well, I guess hasn't started. They've been doing this for a while, but they're putting ads on, on videos that aren't a part of the partner program. So they're mm -hmm. making money off of people who um, are putting a lot of time and effort into their YouTube channels that aren't yet partners. And those people aren't seeing anything from that. Right. So I, I hope that YouTube will continue this trend 
to encompass even more people like they used to. I mean, before the partner program, anybody could make money off of YouTube as long as, you know, they had videos that people generally liked. Uh, so hopefully we can get closer to that point. As for their new shorts revenue sharing kind of policy, I think it's it's quite interesting because with a short, you can't monetize a specific video, right? The ads have to play in between uh, shorts that you're swiping through and stuff like that. And that ad revenue that they're going to get, they're going to take, uh, I think, 55% of that um, and distribute it across their their creators, which is... Like you said, that's that's a good thing because it's not just a set fund. It's it's actually growing with the platform and the creators on the platform, which is what needs to happen because then you're not just at a point where only the select few are making money off of the effort and the work that they're putting into their shorts, but platform will actually grow with the creators that are growing, which is how YouTube was created in the first place. YouTube doesn't exist unless you know, the biggest creators who started from nothing actually grew with the platform and made the platform better and made the platform more money and in tune made themselves more money. If it was just a situation where there was a set amount of money that anyone could make, I guarantee you, you YouTube is not at the point where it is right now in terms of being, in my opinion, probably the best uh, streaming website there is. Like, I, I think about it all the time. There's Netflix, there's Disney+. Plus. I spend way more time on YouTube than I spend on any of those that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on on uh, programs that they put on their, their platforms. And it's because YouTube has done such a great job at convincing creators that it's a worthwhile platform to invest in uh, and make really cool stuff. And that's 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 been happening. So, yeah, I think this is a, a really cool kind of move. Uh, I hope that this puts pressure on other companies like TikTok to take a more creative friendly approach to or creator friendly approach to how to make sure these people get paid. Uh, but I don't think they will. I, I think TikTok makes so much money and is so popular right now that it will take a lot of people using YouTube shorts over TikTok for them to actually feel the heat of the competition. And I think up until this point, one of the biggest benefits of YouTube shorts is that ads were not, I've never really come across an ad in YouTube shorts. And it's what kind of keeps you in that ecosystem for a long time. I imagine that maybe when they start introducing ads more frequently, especially if they want to, you know, grow this pool of money to to for YouTube and Google to make, but also to pay out creators a lot quicker, uh, it might kind of hamper the viewing experience and maybe slow down the growth of shorts. Maybe. Who knows? But yeah, it, it's it's overall a good thing. And you know, we, we've talked about many times, YouTube is definitely the best. Not necessarily, like, they're not flawless, but they are the best when it comes to finding ways to make sure creators get paid. And we're starting to see a lot of, of you know, uh, issues with a lot of other companies kind of doing this. We're seeing Twitch, for instance, lower their revenue sharing um, with their top creators from 70-30 to 50-50. Uh, which is getting a lot of people kind of uh, frustrated. And I think that's kind of like the sentiment around most social media platforms other than YouTube. There seems to be a lot of negativity around TikTok and Twitch and, uh, you know, whatever, Facebook gaming. I don't even think that exists anymore. But yeah, YouTube is, is continuing the, the kind of uh, journey forward to make it the best platform for creators. And I think that will only benefit them in the long run in terms of getting the best content. Yeah. I think... 
I think TikTok should introduce revenue sharing sooner because I think if they wait until the point where they're losing, I don't want to say market share, but they're losing creators to YouTube, I think by that point it'll be too late. Mm. Right? Like, I think this is, I think once YouTube starts sharing revenue with shorts creators, I think people are going to see just how much money they're missing out on by dedicating themselves to tiktok yeah right i think i saw a quote somewhere that people will be able to make 10 times what they make per view on youtube shorts compared to tiktok because of this revenue split compared to the tiktok creator fund and so once people who create tiktok see that they're just going to completely abandon the pro the the platform because why would you bother Right yeah. for the same amount of effort, you get ten times the money, right? I think more people, yeah, we'll see. More companies should copy what YouTube does. They should pay their creators because one, we're creators and we want to get paid. But also, two, it's like you said, that's how your platform grows. TikTok has been able to grow exponentially, you know, ridiculously because of their successful algorithm and how they promote content to people, but they show ads and they make money. And I assume that they're going to continue to show ads and show more ads on their content and between content. And at some point creators are going to say, Hey, I'm not making money. And TikTok is making all this money, but YouTube will pay me 10 times whatever I'm making on TikTok." So why am, am I going to bother posting on TikTok? Yeah, there's people viewing my stuff, but at the end of the day, they have to support themselves. Creators have to support themselves. And if YouTube is supporting them and TikTok isn't, Instagram isn't, Twitch isn't, then people are just going to migrate to the platform that supports them the most. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how YouTube blew up in the first place, right? After Google bought them. And even even more recently, with with a lot of streamers switching from from Twitch to YouTube, uh, they have done what Facebook couldn't with with Facebook Gaming. They did what? Oh man, I'm forgetting what Microsoft's uh, streaming service was called. That Mixer? folded and then Mixer no. was it Mixer? Oh, was it Mixer? I don't know. What's something? Mixer was something. Yeah, but anyways, you know Microsoft stuff. You know that folded. YouTube has really been competing with everybody on every front. They're competing with Twitch. They're competing with TikTok. Who knows? Maybe eventually they might start competing with Instagram. I feel like they're only competing with Instagram now because Instagram is deciding to change what they are uh, into a more video kind of stream focused platform as opposed to the image based platform that it was in the past. So yeah, it's it's just interesting to see. Like, Also, we don't want to see there just be one platform, right? Like YouTube is the only platform because that's where everyone decided to go. And then all of a sudden they don't have competition, so they can kind of make up the rules of what they want to do. There kind of needs to be competition. So yeah, you would hope that a lot of these other companies would say, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that creators are happy on our platform so that, you know, two, three, four, five years down the line, there isn't just YouTube and everyone else is, is gone. Yeah. Hopefully we keep on getting competition and, and you know, we wouldn't have short form video if it wasn't for TikTok. Yeah, we wouldn't that's have a good point. we wouldn't have creators 
getting paid for short form video, you know, have an ad revenue split for short form video if it wasn't for TikTok. So yeah, we, we do need competitors and we do need new people coming up, you know, new companies coming up, but it's, it's, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they stick around, how long TikTok is relevant for. And then it will be interesting to see who else pops up, right? Because we wouldn't have live streaming on YouTube if it wasn't for Twitch. And we wouldn't have... That's uh, really the point. Yeah. We wouldn't have live streaming on YouTube if it wasn't for Twitch. We wouldn't have short form vertical video if it wasn't for TikTok. So, you know, there's going to be new companies that pop up. And then I'm sure YouTube is going to copy whatever they do, just like everyone else copies whatever is successful in the moment. But how long will these companies last? And I think, you know, as you said before, as you both said, their ability to keep creators on their platform to make it, you know, I guess lucrative for creators on their platform, that is going to determine whether or not they stay and whether how long they stay relevant. Uh, any closing statements? Uh, no, I, th I think this is a, an interesting podcast. Uh, definitely loved seeing some of the, or I shouldn't say loved, I like seeing some of the footage from, from GTA 6. Uh, I'm just curious, did you see any of that footage and did that get you excited about the game at all, knowing that it actually really exists and they're working on it? Uh, I saw some of it. Didn't get me that excited because, yeah, I don't, I, I know they're working on it. They've said that they're working yeah. on it, but we still don't know when it's going to come out. Right. Yeah. When I get an official trailer, maybe an official launch date, then I'll start getting excited. But I mean, this footage could be from two years ago. We're still at least two years out. I'm not excited about anything. That's it's good to set the expectations because you know, hopefully, people aren't thinking this is going to come out tomorrow. No, and they got to wait a couple not. years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.